about some really odd accidents. I don't know how I came across these. Maybe you've, you've uh, heard these accounts. They're, they're several years old. In fact, the first is in London in the early 19th century. Apparently, there was a giant vat of beer that ruptured. How big was that vat of beer? Apparently, it sent a 15-foot wave down the street. And seven people drowned. Six of them on purpose, probably, but that's another story. You think that's crazy? Here's another. In Boston in 1919, a giant vat of molasses exploded. And 21 people were killed. I guess they didn't get the warning. It's molasses! Stroll for your lives! imagine the worst case scenario. Like, one of the things that, that we really want, and the more I think about my kids, the more it becomes a priority is we want them to be safe. And at all costs, that's kind of it. If they could just be safe. And safety becomes the thing. Now, we, when we had our kids, we uh, took pride home from the hospital in a car seat. All of you remember car seats, right? Um, yeah, when I was a baby and Probably mom held me in her arms. On our long trips, we didn't wear seat belts. My brother would lay in the seat and I would lay in the floorboard because that was just a safer nap, right? Or station wagons. Remember station wagons where you could face backwards in the back and do all those things? Safety becomes it. But but now, when I have my own kids, I can't imagine allowing them to to do those sorts of things. It becomes excessive to the point now, you know, one of them has gone to college. like a good idea to me. I'm like, sure, go ahead. She calls us about 8.30 and says, okay, we're getting ready to go. Good, fine, be safe. So it's about 8.45. I said, oh, by the way, I have to drive. Well, that's fine, you can drive. Um, but it's in Fort Lauderdale. What? Where? Krispy Kremes? I mean, don't you have any Krispy Kremes in West Palm Beach? It's a big city. But the one in Fort Lauderdale has the hot donuts now sign on it there. You know, you can, there's an app tells you which one have hot. So they were going to go, her college group from uh, First Baptist or Family Church or whatever they call it these days in West Palm, were going to go to the Krispy Kreme in Fort Lauderdale, and she was driving. I'm a little anxious. I said, where? I said, so are you meeting as a group? Well, yes. Okay, good. So you're going to follow somebody? Well, no. Do you know how to get there? Well, no. It's getting better. You know where it is. It's on US-1 in Fort Lauderdale. You've been to US-1 in Fort Lauderdale. There are parts of US-1 in Fort Lauderdale. I'm thinking, yes, my 19-year-old college daughter with four other girls college age in the car. This sounds like a wonderful idea. What is the student pastor's name at Franklin Church downtown? He and I need to have a talk. But nonetheless, we get these 
God would have answered much the same way as the story had to be answered. A little bit later, there's a guy by the name of Moses. Moses raised in privilege because of the risk his parents took, his mom particularly, putting him in that basket. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, raised him in Pharaoh's household. And so Moses sees the injustice around him of the people that he identifies with and tries to take matters into his own hands. And in doing that, kills an Egyptian and has to run for his life. And maybe like most of us would do after we've kind of run away and thought the danger is over, he's pretty content to stay as far away from all of that as he can get. And so he begins to tend the flocks of his family. Until one afternoon, as he's out with the flocks, he sees a bush that's burning, but it's not being burned up. And God calls to him from that bush and sends him back to the very place he probably least wanted to go to carry a message to Pharaoh, to confront the king who probably was looking for him after his murder many years ago of Moses' brother. We could talk about a young boy, another shepherd, who goes to visit his brothers who are on the front lines of battle. And when he gets there, sees his brothers and the rest of the Israelite army afraid for their lives because there's this Philistine out in the field challenging them to a mono-on-mono battle, winner-take-all. And little David can't believe no one would stand up to that giant. And because of his love of his God, he's the one that steps forward, not wanting the armor of the king, not wanting all the normal gear of war, but goes out, I'm sure you remember, with a sling and five stones and fells the giant. Maybe Esther comes to mind. Queen Esther, as we often know her, who, as the scripture says, for such a time as this, risked so much to enter the presence of the king, unannounced and uninvited, to plead the case of her people. And God rewarded that very risky move. These are the things that that we see in scripture. Maybe one of my favorite, actually what we're going to, look at the verses in in the New Testament is a guy by the name of Peter. Anybody like Peter? You should, by the way. Anybody like Peter's my favorite disciple. I relate to Peter a lot. Peter was a guy no what can we say about Peter? He was uh, bold at times. He wasn't a shy type. He would just often take action. And this instance we're going to look at is one time when he took action that that we remember well. It's in the book of of Matthew chapter 14. To set the stage a little bit, it might be a story you're familiar with. Jesus has sent his disciples, Peter among them, on ahead across the lake. And he was going to join them later. Well, they get in the boat as fishermen. That was their preferred method of transportation. They were pretty familiar with that body of water. They were pretty familiar with what it meant to go on their boat out there, and they take off from the shore, and while they're on the sea, while they're on that that body of water, a storm comes up. They're all alone out there, as far as they can tell, and 
then in the distance, in the middle of this storm, they see someone who seems to be walking on top of the water. I don't know about you, but I would probably react like most of them did and think, this is probably not good. Is it a ghost? Is it something scary? And they're even more anxious until they realize this figure isn't a ghost. This figure is someone they know well. This figure is Jesus. And in Matthew 14, uh, verse 28, after they recognize it's Jesus, after it's something Jesus speaks to them and says, take courage, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. What an amazing change from I'm scared to death, we're going to die, there's no hope, to try. That looks like fun, but if that's you, Jesus, just say it. Tell me. Let me do what you're doing. And Jesus says in verse 29, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. What an incredible moment that must have been for Peter. I say a moment because in the next verse we're talking about down at the waves, and he gets a little scared and begins to sink. And immediately, Jesus is there, takes his hand, and they're back safe in the boat. Remarkable episode. And, and as much as a lot of sermons are, are preached on the second part of that, that, that Jesus had to rescue him, and, and that, that Peter saw the storm, and saw the waves, and sunk, I think it's remarkable that he had the courage to risk something in the boat was willing to say to Jesus, if that's you, just say the word. some here already. 
something like this this summer. I bet you have. Some of you remember. You might not. I don't know. Here is my balance beam encouragement. make that look easy. I practice a lot for that. A lot. I didn't intend to fall off. I thought I was just going to hold on for a while. But it turned out to be good. Yeah, I think some of us, what I just tried to do is a little bit like how we live our life. I mean, I know that's probably real balance. Even if there was an Olympic athlete here that could do things, they probably wouldn't do it on that level. But as we go through our lives of faith, and, and like Peter, we're confronted with moments where God is calling us to take a risk. Most of the time, we just want to grab onto the balance beam. We just want to hold on to what seems like the safest place and position and hope we just get through this. Imagine if Peter never got out of the boat. Would he have walked on the water? Imagine if Abraham said to God, you know what, I'm pretty comfortable right here. I've got wealth, I've got flocks, I've got workers. I don't know if I want to risk it all for an unknown destination. What if David would have said, fighting that giant. You see the size of that dude? No way. I'm out. I'll tell Dad you're fine, brother. What if Jesus never got near Jerusalem? set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem, purposefully. Went into that town knowing what was to come and could pray one of the most dangerous prayers anybody can ever pray. Not knowing what the end was. That's a hard to pray question. Thy kingdom
whether it's my desire for comfort, safety, or security, God speaks. God calls. And I'm left with the choice, will I risk these things or not? John Bosley wrote a book based upon this historic truth. And I think I've ever said this to the effect that if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And he tells the story in this book of a man by the name of Bob. Bob is a new believer, trying to get used to the things of faith and the Christian life, and comes across in his Bible reading a verse where Jesus says, Ask whatever you will in my name, and you will receive it. person who he's learning from, his mentor, his discipler. What does that mean? I mean, I can ask for anything? It's, of course, like most of us good Christian readers will say, well, yes, you can, but it's not like a blank check. It's not like God's a genie in a bottle. You can't just pray and he does it. But, but that's what it says, right? I can pray for anything in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to have these things. Those are what? They're what? I'm going to start praying for cancer. I don't know where cancer came from, but that's what he wanted to pray for. Bob is going to pray for cancer. know anybody? Have you met somebody from there? No, never, but I just want to pray for cancer. And so they made an agreement for the next six months, Bob would every day pray for cancer. That was a good plan. After a month of daily prayer, six months up, nothing happened. You probably won't relate to that one. And if you're like me, a month is a pretty long time to pray for something. And if after a month, nothing happens, you think, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe maybe God answered no, whatever. But, but this didn't deter Bob. He kept praying. And it was toward the end of that six-month period, after praying for Kenya over and over again, that he went to a dinner. He was in the Washington, D.C. area. And at that dinner, he met a woman who ran an orphanage in, and guess what? Kenya, exactly. Met these this woman, runs an orphanage in Kenya. She says, Kenya, he lights up. He had been reading about Kenya. He'd been trying to learn about the country of Kenya, the people of Kenya, the needs of Kenya. And now he meets a person who's from Kenya, running an orphanage in Kenya. And she's like, whoa, slow down. Have you ever been there? No, never been to Kenya. She said, you should come. Bob says, okay, I'm going to Kenya. He books his ticket to visit the orphanage. Gets to the orphanage. She shows him around. He is overwhelmed by the needs of this orphanage. I mean, absolutely overwhelmed, particularly the lack of medical supplies and care for these orphanages. And so when he gets back to the United States, he begins to write letters to pharmaceutical companies describing the condition of this orphanage in Kenya and asking if there's anything they can do about it. He's also praying that something bad will happen. It wasn't too long after that that he hears from the leader of the orphanage in Kenya, Bob, you won't believe it. We've received over a million dollars in donated medical equipment and supplies from this company and this company. Not all of it, about a total of a million. It is amazing. How did that happen? He said, well, I wrote him letters. It worked. We're going to have a party. Would you come to Kenya again and be a part of this party since your letters is what sparked this? Of course I'll come to Kenya. Remember, this started because Bob said, 
going to take the kingdom with this promise. And Jesus said, ask whatever you will in my name. And they refused. So he goes to spend this with Pilate. And guess who else shows up at the party? A key political figure in the kingdom, and also might be incredibly important, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. And even Bob is quite impressed with this person and says, why don't you, with how long are you here? For a few more days? Why don't you come with me and we'll tour Nairobi? Bob's like, sounds like a plan. Sure. When do you want to do it? And so they go to Nairobi touring this country, and one of the things that they see on this tour is a prison. And Bob is quite fascinated by this prison. And he's asked about it, how long it's been there. And he asks a very important question. Someone says, who's held in this prison? And maybe with a little hesitation, Tell you that's the emperor of Syria, Jesus. And Bob says, he's the one who got it. And that's it. The story ends. He comes back to the United States. A couple weeks later, he gets a call. Apparently from the State Department. Excuse me, Bob, have you been to Kenya recently? And don't lie because you have your passport. Political statements? Um, I don't know what you mean. Well, particularly, did you make any statements about political prisoners in Kenya? Maybe. Yes. Bob, we want you to know we have been working to try to get those political prisoners released. And apparently, whatever you said got those prisoners released. And we just wanted to know who this Bob was. Every story ends with some remarkable result because I, I would guess if you've been a believer in Christ for any length of time, you've probably said, prayed for things, and each morning you look back and say, it didn't exactly turn out like I wanted. That's one of those things that you tend to forget. But I can tell you that there are probably also times in your life, maybe you look back on the story, it may be a little bit like that. follow me, and you'll be able to play safe the rest of your life. No, in fact, Jesus said something much more scandalous. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus does say something to the effect of come follow me. He says it this way, though. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. but I imagine if I were to look around some of your necks, they might be maybe, maybe even a couple dangling from some euros in your hands. The cross is a very familiar symbol. We actually use this idea of carrying your cross usually in this 
for Jesus to say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. They knew the risk that that implied. They understood to take up a cross wasn't just to deal with a difficult situation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're expecting something of this man who's coming into town. All the symbolism is there. They've come to this part of the world because it's the Passover. One of their holiest religious days. And the Passover, as you may remember, celebrates the deliverance of Israel from an oppressor, namely Egypt. Their celebration every year of this Passover, particularly in that day and time, when they're under the thumb of Rome, is the hope that there is another deliverance coming. That much like God acted in miraculous ways to liberate them from Egypt, they hope he will act again on their behalf to liberate them from Rome. And Rome knows this. And Rome does not take this lightly. already in the city, bracing themselves for the 100 or 200,000 pilgrims that will come to Jerusalem with rebellion potentially on their mind. And Jesus in that moment accepts the adoration of the crowd. He never confirms that that's what he's coming for. Because being Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the words of the Son said, God deserves every bit of praise he receives. Yet he knows the end of this story is not what they're hoping for. He would gather 
Persecuted me, as Jesus did. I persecuted 